the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's 4 o'clock, Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. Glad you're along with us this afternoon. When I was a kid growing up, uh, every week we got delivered to our home uh, Newsweek magazine. I, I remember that I, I guess when I was in junior high, I started kind of looking at it and looking at at some of the articles in the back about movies or TV shows that were going to be on. And uh, when when I went off to college and then when we got married, I, I thought, this is what you do. If you want to stay on top of what's going on, you subscribe to either Time or Newsweek. Those were the two competing, or U.S. News and World. Those were the three magazines that you looked at for an in-depth analysis of what was going on in the world. You read the newspaper to know what went on today. This was this was all I you, you some of you are old enough to remember the old days before the internet, before 24-hour cable news. And I don't remember when it was, but it dawned on me at some point that Newsweek magazine was not just giving me the news. They they had a perspective. Even in their news coverage, there was a perspective coming through. There was an agenda. And you, you started to pick up on this, and, and I started to recognize the agenda and go, wait, this, this is not right. I'm, I'm not getting it straight here. And, and then I heard about World Magazine. I don't remember exactly when, but for more than a decade now, Marianne and I have subscribed to World Magazine, which is like getting Newsweek back in the olden days, or Time Magazine back in the old days, but now it's a magazine that you you get that presents world news from a from a perspective, and the perspective is clear. It's from the perspective of people who believe the Bible and who are presenting what's going on in our world with that with that framework, that understanding in mind. It's still it it's still not an opinion magazine it's still a news magazine but all newspapers and news magazines all of them have a perspective i mean we've seen this this week when we read stories in the washington post about a car that killed people in in waukesha wisconsin a, a car that killed people did you see this the headline that said People were killed by a car. They were killed by a driver who drove that car into a crowd. And and so there's a perspective that comes into how you write stories and headlines, all of that. Well, with World Magazine, you you at least have some idea that the reporters who are covering this think in this in some of the same terms that you do and and we've appreciated and and still appreciate world magazine so the news comes out when when something makes the new york times you know there's there's news happening and two weeks ago two and a half weeks ago the news comes out that 
the editor of World Magazine, Marvin Alasky, had announced that he was stepping down. He was resigning his position as editor, effective in January. And this is over controversy going on within World's larger organization about the start of something new at World Magazine called World Opinion. So there's there's World Magazine that presents the news and does have opinion columns in it. But World Opinion is now going to be a a separate or a a uh, not a, maybe not separate a, a new member of the family, a new sibling in the family that uh, will will be more like reading the National Review or the New Republic or an opinion journal that will look at today's news but look at it with a with a decided um opinion bent that's that's its stated purpose and and while it's there there's nothing wrong again i i'll read national review regularly to get a perspective i read the opinion pages in the newspaper and the op-ed pages in the newspaper so reading opinions there's nothing wrong with that but alaski felt that what was going on at world was uh, a vote of no confidence at one level. He he felt that there was some journalistic integrity being being violated, and that uh, that the world does not need that the world does not need another opinion journal, but that they should stick to to news reporting. All of this pulls me back to a larger question, which is about the news that we read, that we consume, how we get our news and information and about what is the responsibility of journalists in this regard to tell us the truth, to cut it straight, to give us, as Joe Friday used to say, for those of you who are that old, who know Joe Friday from Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. We don't want the opinion. We just want to know the facts. We'll figure it out for ourselves. And and is that even possible? Because every so-called news organization today seems to be clear about the perspective from which their news story is coming and how it's being presented. So here's what I want to, I want us to talk about how journalism should be functioning, but I want us as consumers of media to be thinking about how we should be understanding what it is we're reading or listening to or watching. You're tuned into KKLA right now because you know that as you listen to KKLA, you're going to hear programming, Bible teaching, conversations like this that come from a particular perspective, a particular worldview. You want to hear what's going on in our world thought about in these terms and that's why you're tuned in. So everybody has a perspective, even objective journalists. And I'm, I'm doing air quotes as I talk about objective journalists. But, but I thought about who we should have this conversation with and uh, decided to call uh, a friend, Warren Cole Smith, who now serves as the president of an organization called Ministry Watch. I'll tell you more about Warren here in just a minute. But Warren, first of all, welcome to Southern California Live. Nice to have you on. Thank you, Bob. Great to be on with you. Yeah, Ministry Watch is an organization that that is a watchdog organization for ministries and nonprofits. You're kind of keeping track and making sure that uh, those in the nonprofit world who are soliciting funds are doing what they say they're going to do with those funds, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. We consider ourselves a donor advocate. Uh, we look after the interests of the donors, and uh, we publish financial information in a, in a database on a website we have called ministrywatch.com. But we also do investigative journalism, journalism that I should add, Bob, I learned from Marvin Olasky and the folks at World Magazine. I was on staff with World Magazine for about eight years and continue to do a podcast for World. So I have a very warm spot in my heart for Marvin and for the folks at World and learned a lot of what I know about uh, doing investigative and accountability and enterprise journalism, some people call it, from Marvin and from World. So I want to ask you about what went on at World here a couple of weeks ago, but here on Giving Tuesday, we ought to just have some words for people who are thinking, maybe I should give to my favorite charity on Giving Tuesday. So as the president of of, uh, Ministry Watch, what's your advice to those who are thinking about being generous today or during the holidays? Well, first of all, uh, we believe here at Ministry Watch that generosity is a uh, something that Christians, uh, you know, should should embrace. Uh, that that uh, generosity is a characteristic of a Christian. Uh, uh, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, generosity, uh, giving freely uh, of ourselves, just as Jesus gave freely of Himself for us, uh, should be a part of what it means to be a Christian disciple. But that doesn't mean you should just give to anybody. God gave us a heart, but He also gave us a head. And uh, we've got uh, financial information of the 1,000 largest Christian ministries in the country, including ratings. We rate them, Bob, based on the level of transparency and their financial efficiency. And um, we think that you should um, not give to everybody that's got a soft story, but give to ministries that you believe in, that you know are deeply rooted in Scripture and the Gospel, and are doing good things with, their, with the money that is being entrusted to them, and not just doing good things, but doing them efficiently as well. And uh, by the way, if anyone wants to go to ministrywatch.com and, and search for a ministry, there's a red button up at the top of the page that says, interestingly enough, search for a ministry. <laughs> and they can um, <laughs> look for the ministry that they care about and see what our recommendation about uh, those ministries are. But to make it easy for Giving Tuesday, this morning, early this morning, we published a list of 62 uh, Christian ministries that uh, have both a five-star tra- financial efficiency rating, which is our highest rating, and an A transparency grade, which is our highest transparency grade. So 62 out of the 1,000 um, get our highest grades. We put them on a list, and you can see them right on the front page of our website. Well, I hope folks will check it out, because here the biblical principle is stewardship. You've been entrusted with the funds God has given to you. And I remember hearing a pastor one time say, the question is not how much of my money will I give to God's work. The question is how much of God's money will I keep for myself? And I think that's the right perspective for us as Christians. But as you think about giving, be a wise steward. That's what the Bible calls you to. And checking out the ministries you're giving to for efficiency, for transparency, these are important things. So I appreciate the work that you guys do. Let's talk about your involvement with World. And first of all, did you know this was coming before it came when it hit the New York Times a couple of weeks ago? Well, yeah, I did. In fact, the New York Times interviewed me for that story, so uh, I, I knew it was coming. I, I, I spoke off the record, just so, just so you'll know, Bob, speaking on the record with you, obviously, but <laughs> I did speak off the record to the New York Times reporter. So I did know it was coming. I've been in, um, you know, m- many of my friends are still at World. Uh, I love World Magazine, love Marvin Olasky. Um, I'm really sad that he is leaving, but there are still a lot of great people there 
And, uh, you know, my, my prayer is that they will uh, continue to do uh, good work. But I don't think there's any doubt that this is the, the passing uh, of an era with the departure of Marvin Alasky. He has defined um, sort of the, um, the um, parameters of what biblical uh, worldview journalism looks like, not only for World Magazine, but through the World Journalism Institute, which is World's educational program, and also just through the influence of World alumni who have gone on and done other things, like me, for example. I was at World for, you know, seven or eight years, and then I left World to do other things. I was at the Colton Center for four years, and now I'm here at uh, Ministry Watch. So World's influence and Marvin Olasky's influence uh, on Christian journalism has been pervasive. I should add, for example, that the president of Christianity Today magazine, Tim Dalrymple, um, wrote for World early in his career and really received a lot of his Christian worldview journalism training from Marvin as well. So, uh, yeah, passing of an era here, it's kind of a sad thing, but, um, you know, none of us live forever, Bob. <laughs> we we look at uh, mainstream publications, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and most of us can quickly identify the perspective that these publications are coming from. So as as we are consumers of news information, um, even those who are telling us that they're giving us just the facts, uh, how, how do you differentiate between what Brett Baer does on Fox News at uh, 6 o'clock Eastern and what Tucker Carlson's doing two hours later on Fox News. One is supposed to be journalism. The other is supposed to be opinion. But sometimes it feels like the journalism has opinion floating through it, and other times it feels like the opinion is attempting to be journalistic. How do we as consumers figure out what's true and what's opinion here? Well, that's a great question, Bob, and one that we are not going to completely unpack in the uh, short amount of time that we have, even though we do have an extended amount of time today for this conversation. It's a big topic. Uh, I would say, though, and I think this really gets to the heart of um, Marvin Olasky's uh, decision to leave World Magazine early. And, and I should add, he was planning to leave World next year anyway. He was, re- he was approaching retirement. This had been long planned for. But he accelerated that because of the creation of world opinions. And I think that, that the reason he did that, and um, a partial answer to your question, Bob, is that reporting makes the difference. Marvin was fond of saying that uh, boots-on-the-ground reporting is uh, really kind of what grounds journalism in reality. He was fond of saying Talk is cheap. Reporting is expensive. But reporting has tremendous value. And if you really want to get at the truth, if, you're, if your ultimate motive is to pursue the truth and try to discover the truth and discern the truth, especially if you're a journalist, you've got to be rooted in boots-on-the-ground reporting. Sometimes Marvin, in a sort of shorthand way, in editorial meetings, used to say things like, not sweet level, but street level. Hmm. Uh, get out of the ivory tower and get down on the streets. And I think that, that understanding, you know, Marvin, if you want to understand Marvin and why he was having, um, you know, kind of this controversy at World, and also understand a partial answer to your question, look for news organizations that 
have real reporters on the ground. They're not just pundits. They're not just talking heads. This is not just opinion uh, making or, and, and brokering, but rather this is real reporting that's going on. And if you can see the real reporting there, uh, that's a, a big part of the battle. It's not the entire battle. Uh, because clearly even reporters bring bias to their jobs. But it's an important part of what I think makes high-quality journalism and especially uh, uh, high-quality Christian worldview journalism, this, this grounding in reality. So, so maybe a differentiator is if somebody is reading the newspaper and then saying, well, here's my opinion – that's that's a pundit. If somebody is actually going to where the story is breaking and talking to people and then saying, here's what I learned, even if they have a, a perspective on what it is they learned, at least you're a little closer to, to to real journalism than you are with a pundit, right? I think that's exactly right. Now, of course, that even that process can be uh, abused, uh, that, that uh, a, a reporter can sometimes resort to what, what – um, we call what at least I call sometimes nut picking. In other words, if they have a perspective that they want to sound reasonable, they will find a reasonable representative of that perspective. But if they, if there's another perspective that they want um, their their readers or listeners to think is unreasonable, they will find a nut. They will go nut picking. They will look for somebody that um, is not a reasonable representative of that alternative point of view. And so you can be deceived by reporters with an agenda. So you have to be very, very careful about that. But it's, it's uh, harder to um, deceive a reader. And for that matter, it's, 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 it's harder for the journalist to insert his or her own perspective into a story if they're forced to actually go out on the streets and do real reporting. I remember reading an, uh, an opinion column years ago that David Brooks wrote in the New York Times where he was expressing his frustration with the fact that any time mainstream journalists wanted to know what Christians think about something, they would go to either, this was back in the day, either Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson to get their opinion. Right. And, and he said, yeah. I wish they would go to John Stott who was the rector of uh, of a church in England. And, and he went on to talk about Stott's reasonableness and his theological acumen and all of this. And it was quite a stirring defense of John Stott. But the bigger point was there's there's a little bit of of nutpicking, and I'm not casting aspersions on Robertson or or, or Falwell, but, but there's a little bit of uh, who can we go after that's going to give us a hot take, maybe not the most rational take on something. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, part of the uh, genesis, uh, Bob, of, of, this, um, uh, of this phenomenon that you've identified, the phenomenon of having, say, a Jerry Falwell rather than a John Stott, is that most mainstream journalists have no idea who John Stott is. Right. Um, and if you look, for example, at America as a whole, now, these studies, you can, we can pick them apart, but I'm just, you know, just bear with me for a second. Gallup does a study every year um, uh, how, how many Americans go to church. And while that number moves up and down, it's somewhere around 35 to 45 percent, and it has been sort of in that range for, you know, a half century. But if you ask the same question of journalists, the answer falls to about 9 percent. Only about 9 percent of working journalists have any sort of regular faith affiliation, which means that they either go to a church or a synagogue or whatever. So what that means in part is they simply don't know who the players are in the religious world. 
And whenever a, a an article or a subject, a breaking news item that has a religious angle on it comes their way, uh, that they only know the loudest and the shrillest voices. They don't know any of the other voices. And that's one of the reasons. I don't think it's malice on the part of mainstream journalists that causes an anti-Christian or a uh, secular bias to creep in. I just think it's who they are, mm. they, and they don't really, they haven't invested the time, the energy uh, to develop the context outside of the loudest and the shrillest and the ones that have the most elaborate PR machines. We're talking this afternoon with my friend Warren Cole Smith, talking about media bias, talking about differentiating between opinion and news and how we can be better consumers of that and recognize the reality that, look, even even your preferred news source, there is bias there. So knowing that, knowing that there's a perspective just helps you be able to think more clearly. Maybe you share that opinion or that bias, but you just need to know that. So we'll we'll continue this conversation, and I'll update you on what's going on uh, at CNN in the last hour as it relates to Chris Cuomo. I don't know if you know that story. We'll talk about that after this time out. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. Southern California Live on KKLA. Tuesday afternoon, I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking about media bias. We're talking about how we as consumers can try to understand what's real and true and objective when it seems like everything that's coming at us these days has a, a filter on it, and sometimes that filter is is designed to be opaque so that we don't recognize how we are being how our thinking is being shaped by those who want to influence us as journalists. Warren Cole Smith is joining us this afternoon. CNN has just announced that they have suspended Chris Cuomo indefinitely. Uh, Cuomo is the CNN news anchor or opinion anchor. I, I don't know which you would call him. He's on CNN in the evenings. Uh, revelations have come out that he used media contacts to try to help his brother, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, navigate allegations of sexual harassment. And just in reading that story, I've, I've read stories, Warren, over the last couple of days about this, about Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo. And, and when you read descriptions like uh, how he helped his his brother, the disgraced former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, all of a sudden my antenna goes up and goes, wait, wait just a second. The fact that you added the adjective disgraced tells me that you've got an agenda that you're putting my way. You, you're trying to, to sell me something just by the use of those words as a reporter, right? Well, I think that's exactly right. I, in this case, I should add, Bob, I think that the word disgraced Applies. To, uh, Andrew Cuomo, prob- <laughs> Cuomo probably does apply. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. The use of language can be very, very subtle, and um, and sometimes we just sort of fly right past it, especially on radio and television, because things are just moving so fast. Uh, I, I know my wife gets frustrated with me because we'll be watching the evening news together, and somebody will say something, and I'll say, wait a minute, that's not right. But by the time I'm able to even get those words out of my mouth, the story's over, and we've moved on to the next story. And um, the, the, the speed with which mm-hmm. radio and television and all news media are coming at us these days have turned us into a, a, into a nation of skimmers, 
uh, a nation of, um, of folks who really have to suspend our critical judgment uh, in order to just get through the day. And in that environment, people that want to manipulate us uh, can. They have an easier time of it. So, yeah, that's one of the, you know, we were talking about in the last uh, segment, Bob, about, you know, the ways that we can guard against, um, you know, media manipulation. And, and one of the ways is simply to uh, be careful about adjectives. Look for nouns and verbs is the way I would say it if, if I put my um, my English teacher hat on. Right. Uh, I think it might have been um, Mark Twain that said, uh, uh, kill all your adjectives. And I think that... Uh, that that's what we should be looking for as consumers. Uh, and um, I think that um, as journalists, the guys on my side of the, uh, of the microphone, I try to do that. I mean, whenever I'm on my best behavior uh, and behaving with integrity, which, of course, I hope I am every day, um, you know, I try to stick mostly to nouns and verbs. And and even with nouns and verbs, I I, I try to listen and and watch and read broadly. All right, I think it's important for me to not just read yeah. in a bubble, but to to listen to perspectives coming from different places. But sometimes that's infuriating. I came downstairs the other morning. I said to my wife, I said. Just listening to NPR, they're talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and they're talking about the fact that that two people were murdered in in uh, in Minnesota. And I said, that's not true. Two people were shot to death in Minnesota. A jury is about to decide whether they were murdered. Murder is a legal definition. But here's a reporter who's telling us two people were murdered. He's already pronounced the verdict. And and it's. It's those subtle uses of words where I go, is the reporter, did, did they not learn what you and I learned when we were studying journalism in college, that you're supposed right. to well, present this objectively, or has, have the rules changed? Well, the rules have, uh, have changed, Bob, I think, to, a, to at least to this extent, is that in 2007, something strange happened. Uh, and that is these these little electronic devices that we can carry around with us that have the internet and podcasts. You know, uh, Twitter and Facebook both appeared in 2007. Uh, iPhone, the first version of the iPhone, appeared uh, in 2007 as well. It's a um, you know I believe that there's nothing new under the sun as the Bible teaches us, but something different, something new happened at least from a technological point of view right around 2007, 2008. And I think a lot of uh, the pathologies that we are seeing in our politics now, in our media, in our culture, uh, can, you know, it's not that they didn't exist before. It's not that we didn't see the seeds of stuff. Neil Postman uh, wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death back in the 1980s that, that brought up many of these ideas. But I think we're seeing sort of the full flower of the negative consequences of technology showing up in our cultural life, our political life, our economic life today in ways that is new uh, and uh, or that are new. And I, and I think that uh, we need to be mindful of that as Christians or as consumers of media generally, whether we're Christians or not, we really need to be discerning. We really need to be skeptical. We really need to be literate in the ways that media can manipulate us in order to guard ourselves against that manipulation. 
Yeah, and and this is where again we we have to recognize that everybody who's telling us a story is telling us a story from a perspective, uh, and and just knowing that, just going in and saying, even your friends, even the people you agree with, have a perspective, and so we just have to be careful and discerning. I think too many people are listening without recognizing that that there is bias on both sides. There's bias coming at us, and we just we should be listening for the facts and not for the interpretation of those facts. I wonder if some of this doesn't go all the way back, and, and you and I are both old enough to remember this, but all the way back to when uh, reporters who used to be uh, not very well known all of a sudden became stars of, of uh, popular culture back when Woodward and Bernstein yeah. Uh, said, yep. look, we, we can use the news to change the world. And a whole generation of, of journalists grew up thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to change the world by telling the story from my perspective. Oh, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you, in fact, you, you mentioned Bert, Woodward and Bernstein, and I think that's a great example. You can go back even further, though, to 1925, the Scopes Monkey Trial, H.L. Mm-hmm. Mencken, uh, you know, came down to Dayton, Tennessee. That was really the first, one of the early you know, sort of huge national stories that the media, H.L. Mencken, who was at that time the dean of American journalism, really sort of championed and, and turned that story into this huge, huge cause that was on uh, everybody's um, mind and on everybody's lips at that time. But I think you're exactly right. The growth of celebrity culture in the 20th century, including the growth of media celebrity, has had a tremendous impact uh, on what's happening today. And in fact, you, we can look at the Cuomo story. Andrew Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, they're both stars. Right. Uh, you know, they're both part of this, you know, really famous Cuomo family, their father, Mario Cuomo, of course, even before them. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's any accident that the, the breaking news today about the Cuomo family, we can see in that story some of the same threads, Bob, that, that you and I are sort of teasing out today. And, and by the way, while we're at it, I, this is another thing that I would just share with our listeners. Um, look for transparency and disclosure when it comes to journalists, because as we've already established, every journalist has a perspective. Nobody is completely unbiased. But I do think that it's important for journalists to own uh, their perspective, own their affiliations, and in some cases, maybe even recuse themselves from covering particular stories. Just as, for example, Marvin Olasky recused himself from covering anything related to George W. Bush because he had been an advisor to George W. Bush uh, in earlier years. So I think that that kind of um, behavior on the part of journalists, um, which we don't see much of anymore, we rarely see reporters or or editors or media personalities recusing themselves from the coverage of particular stories. I think journalists should do it. I think consumers of journalism, listeners, readers, viewers should expect it. Well, and and anybody who's hearing you say that, and by the way, I would agree 100 percent, but it's kind of like, oh, you guys are dinosaurs. That's just not the way the world works today. And anybody who's going to say, yeah, I'm going to recuse or I'm not going to do this. I mean, you're you're just not going to make it in this business anymore unless you've got an edge and an agenda and you can break through the clutter. And that's part of how you that's how you get eyeballs and clicks is by saying things that are provocative and putting your news story in the most clickable uh, format possible. 
Well, unfortunately, Bob, I think that what you're saying is largely true. Um, but but I do think that there are um, that that the dinosaur is not completely extinct. <laughs> and I believe that if if journalists will show courage, will show integrity, will show a commitment to kind of these old school values that we're talking about, um, you know, boots on the ground reporting, uh, integrity in your affiliation, self-disclosure, transparency. Uh, I believe there's a market for this stuff. I think that, you know, one of the things that we're also seeing is a bit of a backlash. I mean, we can see it, for example, in the uh, Senate hearings related to Twitter and Facebook. Uh, You know, the the fact that now Mark Zuckerberg is sort of uh, in the dock, to use an old British expression about uh, being in the court of public opinion. Uh, So, you know, I I don't know. I think that, um, you know, one of the things about technology is that we never adopt a technology because we think it's going to screw up our lives. We always adopt the technology because of all the great things that we think that that technology will bring us. You know, the iPhone and and Twitter and Facebook and and, any new technology we adopt because of the positive benefits. The negative benefits often or the negative consequences often show up later. Now we're beginning to see the negative consequences of some of uh, this new media culture, social media and other things. And I think we're starting to see a backlash. I think people are starting to raise their hand and say, wait a minute, time out. I want off this bus. And um, and I think that journalists who will do that, journalists that will adhere to some of these old school values, Bob, that you and I are talking about, I believe will have a hearing in the culture of the future. Warren Cole Smith joining us this afternoon. We're talking about media and journalism and what's right and what's wrong and how we consume it better. The conversation continues in just a minute. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. Southern California Live on KKLA. Bob Lapine in. We're talking about media bias, about the news, about how we process opinion from truth and facts. And and we're on the eve, by the way, of oral arguments being presented tomorrow in the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case. This is the case uh, from Mississippi about restricting access to abortion after 15 weeks. This is a, a monumental, consequential Supreme Court decision that will not be handed down tomorrow, but the it will be argued tomorrow. And and tomorrow, as we read the reports of this, uh, it's going to be reported very differently depending on where you hear your news. So Nina Totenberg on NPR is going to report it one way, and Shannon Bream on Fox News is going to report it another way. They're going to point to judge or to questions asked by the the judges that uh, most align with their preconceptions. And and depending on who you're listening to, uh, you'll get a different sense of what went on in the courtroom that day. Warren Cole Smith is joining us this afternoon. He's a he's a, a writer, a reporter. In fact, what was it? You wrote a book seven or eight years ago about the media and about bias in the media with Marvin Alasky, didn't you? I did, yeah. Marvin wrote a book called Prodigal Press, uh, years ago and it was a it's a classic book and it had a big influence on me and uh, the 25th anniversary of that book came up and um, they a publisher approached Marvin to uh, to do a revision of it and Marvin asked me if I would help him with that I was really honored uh, to get tapped for that role and 
uh, wrote a couple of new chapters and revised, uh, you know, the rest of the book, and we published a new version of that and was just really honored to share a byline with Marvin on that book. Yeah, exactly. So, so if, if somebody tomorrow is thinking, I want to know what really happened, you know, in the court chambers, how do I, how do I get to the real story? What do they have to do to figure out what's, what really went on there? Well, that's a great question. You know, Bob, you said something I, either in the last segment or maybe even in the first segment that you read um, a wide variety of news sources. And, you know, and I really recommend that. I think that that's a that's a good practice. Now, obviously, you can't read everything. But um, in the in the in as a reporter, as a journalist, I had a professor uh, tell me that uh, as a very young reporter, report against your biases. In other words, if you if you have a particular bias uh, for one perspective, go look for somebody, a reasonable person, a thoughtful person who represents the other perspective. And I do think that as, as consumers that we need to do that as well. Yeah, I recommend reading World Magazine. Uh, if it's related to Christian ministries, I recommend reading Ministry Watch um, but, uh, and other Christian and conservative publications. But I see nothing wrong with reading The Washington Post and New York Times. I listen to NPR. Now, you've got to have your filters up. You've got to be careful uh, as consumers. Uh, my friend Cal Thomas is fond of saying that he every morning wakes up and reads the Bible in the New York Times. He reads the Bible to see what God is up to, and he reads the New York Times to see what Satan is up to. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, and I think that there is value in that diversity of perspective. But I also think that you should pick a few that you really trust, that over time, uh, as you have read them or listened to them or viewed them, if they happen to be on television, that you have developed a level of confidence that what they say is true uh, or at least approaches the truth in ways that other people do not. So uh, read from a variety of sources, but have a few trusted sources. I would say in the case of the Supreme Court case, um, you can usually find the uh, this day and age. Now, 20 years ago, you couldn't, but right. you can listen to either C-SPAN or C-SPAN two, uh, or some of the uh, C-SPAN radio um, uh, channels, and you can actually hear the oral arguments yourself. Um, and some of the big cases, I listen to those oral arguments, especially if they're brilliant. Uh, attorneys, uh, so for example, Paul Clement, who I think is one of the great uh, living uh, Supreme Court uh, attorneys right now, when some of these big rock star attorneys, I, I, I love listening to them just because they're such, you know, brilliant uh, rhetoricians. And uh, so listen, you know, go to the original source if you can. Otherwise, go to people you trust and read against your biases so that you get other perspectives as well. Do you have your go-tos? I mean, are, are there places you say, okay, yeah. uh, if, if I can only go a few places, this is where I'm going to go to get informed? Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, World Magazine, um, despite the problems, the issues that they that we've been talking about or talked about earlier in the program, you know, I continue to go to World Magazine for that perspective uh, on, you know, they've got, they have a full-time uh, legal reporter um, there and um, that, you know, they, they cover the Supreme Court uh, very carefully. I do listen to NPR. You know, as you said a few moments ago, you're going to get only one perspective there. But they have a, a report, new reporter there, Sarah McCammon, who um, is at least uh, sympathetic towards Christian perspectives and usually mm -hmm. has some pretty good uh, Christian voices in her news uh, reports. So I will uh, listen there. Uh, you know, as far as opinion journalists are concerned, you know, you mentioned David Brooks earlier. I will often read David Brooks. I'll read David French. 
um, at the dispatch. Um, you know, there are others that I go to. I, I, I don't fully trust all of them. I think that it's important to read all of them with a certain amount of skepticism. My former colleagues at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, they don't break the news, but they do often analyze the news with their daily breakpoint commentaries. And uh, so I recommend um, the, the Colson Center as well. A new one that I've uh, been following lately has been Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum. He also has a daily news analysis, which I have found to be very helpful. Do, do you think Substack, this this new emergence of uh, kind mm-hmm. of where you, you can subscribe to who you want to subscribe to, is this going to change yeah. journalism? Well, it does. Uh, you know, and I think that there are some positives and some negatives. It's like we were talking earlier, Bob. All new technologies usually bring positives and negatives. They bring the positives or we wouldn't adopt them in the first place. But sometimes the negatives don't show up until later. And I think uh, venues like Substack, Medium is another one. I happen to be on Medium, for example. And there are two or three others that um, that are starting to pop up as well. They're great for content creators like you and me. Because we can put our content there. We don't have to pass it by an editor. We can sort of, you know, if people are interested in the unfiltered Bob Lapine or the unfiltered Warren Goldsmith, they can get us on those platforms. That's That can be good. The bad news is I think we all need editors. I think yeah. we all need good editors. And sometimes um, those, um, those platforms don't really uh, allow guys like me to have the editors that we need, number one. And number two, it does create a certain amount of what I call tribalism, where you tend to only listen to the people that are part of your tribe. Uh, that they're that they do. Uh, the, one of the negative impacts of Substack and Medium and others is that they sort of exacerbate that echo chamber that I think has become one of the big problems in our political life and in our cultural life these days. We should tell people about your podcast and how it can be accessed and what you're doing with the podcast. So fill us in. Well, I, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. We have a podcast at Ministry Watch. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the podcast tab at the top of the page. Or you can go to, you know, iTunes. We're on iTunes and all the other normal Stitcher and the other normal uh, platforms. It's just the Ministry Watch podcast. I also, even though I've not worked for World Magazine for six years, I continue to do a podcast for World Magazine or for World News Group. It's called Listening In. It's long-form interviews with both newsmakers and others. I've had uh, musicians, politicians, filmmakers, screenwriters, uh, and, uh, you know, Christian, um, I guess you could call it celebrities as well, on my podcast. I've been doing that for about eight years. We have an archive of between 400 and 500 interviews. Uh, To find that, again, you can go to um, iTunes, we're there, or you can go to World Magazine's website, which is WNG.org. That stands for WorldNewsGroup.org. And it's called Listening In. That's correct. Yeah, Listening In. Long-form interview. Think Fresh Air with Terry Gross, but from a Christian perspective. And and you're doing that weekly? I do. We, we take a, a couple of seasons off, like we take a break during the summer, and we're going to take a break uh, for December and January 
Uh, but, yeah, for the most part, it's a weekly program, uh, usually around 30 to 45 minutes. Well, this, this conversation, I think, has been very helpful, and I hope listeners walk away from this with with a better sense that you've got to step out of the echo chamber you're in. Don't just listen to people who confirm your biases. Stretch your thinking a little bit. Think, how does the other side see this? Try and get behind the desk and, and hear their viewpoint as you consume the news. It's going to get you closer to what is true than just listening to your preferred uh, pundits telling you, Things that you that you go, yeah, that's right, yeah, you get them. We, we've we've got to uh, we, we've got to be. I, I think the Bible talks about men of Issachar, and that's what we need to be. And I'll let people check that reference out. Warren, thanks for the time. We got to wrap it up here. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow on Southern California Live. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.